So this morning, the sermon, we're going to have a short time of review, and then we're going to move into the passage that was read by Judd, and then towards the end, we have more of a theological application from the calling of God that was mentioned by Paul in this section. If you're joining us this morning for the first time, we started a series in Galatians a couple of weeks ago. Paul had started several churches on his first missionary journey. You can read about this in Acts 13 and Acts 14. Not long after he had planted these new churches, a group of religious leaders followed and muddied up the waters of Paul's message of the gospel. Now, to add to the confusion, some really good scholars believe that these religious leaders who followed Paul around were not telling people that they should reject Jesus. That was not their message. Their message is, Hold to Jesus in one hand, and yet practice other religious activities in the other hand in order to be truly accepting to God. So it wasn't Jesus alone. It was Jesus and these other things. What were these other things? Well, these religious leaders are drawing upon the history of these people, and a lot of these people were Jews who had come out of Judaism. And what was common in Judaism were several practices. One of the practices was circumcision. So in chapter 5, verses 2 through 4, Paul brings this up, and you can tell that it's an issue for these people. So chapter 5, verses 2 through 4, Paul says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision... Christ, now here's Christ, he's mentioning Christ, he's not saying that you've rejected Christ, but he's saying Christ will be of no advantage to you. And I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You can hear his language in there. He's not concerned that they've rejected Christ. That's not the problem. It's that they've taken Christ and they've added more to him. All right, look over at Galatians 6, verse 12. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. So if people are coming along... Christians are popping up on the scene. Christians are being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Well, how might we get away from the persecution? Appease the people who are causing the persecution. Appease those religious leaders in the Jewish sect by incorporating some of their practices, like circumcision. Not only was it circumcision, but it was also accepting special days, special Jewish holidays and feasts. So chapter 4, verse 10, he says this, You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. So I want you to see Paul's dilemma here. I think in some cases it would be much easier 
for him to go into a situation where he had preached Christ and now somebody follows up and says, you need to reject Christ and go back to this religious practice. That's not the case. It's much more confusing than that. People have come along and said, hey, hold on to Christ, but it's Christ and dot, 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 all of these religious practices. Now, that is not any different than what happens today in many religions. By that, I mean Christ is preached We see Christ on the cross. We see Christ coming out of the tomb in many religions. They don't deny the person of Jesus Christ. But it's not Christ alone. It's Christ and dot, dot, dot. By that, I mean, let me read for you one excerpt from a denomination. Here's the dot, dot, dot. Holy baptism is the basis of the whole Christian life, the gateway to life in the spirit, and the door which gives access to the other sacraments. Through baptism, we are freed from sin and reborn as sons of God. We become members of Christ, are incorporated into the church, and sharers in her mission. Baptism is the sacrament of regeneration through water in the word. Okay, you hear Christ being mentioned, but how is someone brought to life and incorporated into the body of Christ? It's Christ and dot, 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 baptism. And what Paul is doing in Galatians is he's saying, no, you have to see this as something off to the side. It's Christ alone for salvation. So we'll see that in chapter 2, especially where he says it's not by dot, dot, dot. It's by faith in Christ. There's other liberal religions that preach Christ on one hand. Yet on the other hand, they say, but you need to embrace these social practices and behaviors in order to be loving and acceptable to God. You can go through many liberal churches in the Tri-Cities area and you will hear the name Jesus Christ throughout the sermon. And yet their theology is going to say Jesus Christ and you need to embrace this or practice this in order to be accepted into God's family. So the problem of adding something to Christ in one's religion has never been anything new. Paul planted these churches in probably 47, 48, somewhere around there, A.D. And by the time Paul is writing Galatians, we believe it's one of the earliest, if not the earliest letter, which is probably written around 50 A.D. It could be approximately a year, 18 months, after he had visited and started these churches. And that's why... Church history is just kind of interesting to me. Like, you see the pattern of the truth going forth, and Satan is the deceiver who follows up, follows up, follows up, and continually adds or takes away so that it's not Christ alone. 
This is nothing new to the church, and yet it's our responsibility as we're going through Galatians to to grapple with this book and to hear Paul's message and to see his focus that the gospel, saving relationship with God, salvation comes by belief in Christ, period. So Paul sees these infant churches in Galatia that he has planted. You can read about that in Acts 13 and 14. And his book starts out, this letter, I should say, starts out in a way that is very different from his other letters. And we saw this last week. First off, he starts off in verse 1, I'm an apostle. And then he starts with the gospel, Jesus Christ, who came, gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. And then he moves right into his point. In Ephesians, you see Paul move into his point by sharing the gospel and outlining the gospel, and it's a wonderful message. Other letters, you see him pouring forth like a heart of thanks. He's thankful for what God is doing in the hearts and lives of people. Not in Galatians. He gets right to the point. So again, by way of review, look at verse 6. Verse 6, he says, I am astonished. That you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort or pervert, twist the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. Let him be destroyed. Pretty strong language to start off a letter to, hello, Galatians. Um, I'm astonished. And by the way, let those people be destroyed. Pretty harsh words. So when I was a kid, I lived on 210 Main Street, Archibald, Pennsylvania. It's a little kind of like a sister town to Scranton there. Behind the house was an alley where my parents parked the cars. And I can imagine my dad driving his old Dodge Diplomat down the alley, parking it on the gravel, walking up the sidewalk into the back door, looking around the house and saying, where are my three boys? Hmm, They're not even here. He walks forward through the house to the front door, opens up the front door, and then he sees his three boys standing out in the street, throwing the football around on Main Street right there. What is dad's greeting going to be right when he gets home? Get out of the street! It isn't one of those, hey kids, nice to see you. I'm so glad you guys are getting exercise. The immediate need demands like immediate response or an immediate call. And that's what's going on with Paul here. There is a need. He's getting right into it in verse 6. I am astonished that you are doing this. And not only that, but if my dad knew that the neighbors next door told us that we could play safely out in the street and it wouldn't cause any problems, I think my dad would run over there and say, hey, you should be accursed, destroyed for letting my boys play out there or for telling them that. That's what Paul is doing here on the front end of the book. So naturally, Paul anticipates a question. If you're going to come to us and speak with such harsh language, if you're going to rebuke us, what's the question? Well, who made you boss? Who made you the authority around here? Why should we listen to you, 
It's a question that we always wrestle with when somebody rebukes us. How did you get your authority? How is it that you came to be the one that could tell us with that kind of dogmatic resolve that you are right and we are wrong? So Paul anticipates that question. He started the book by telling us that his authority comes not from man or through man. He's an apostle from Jesus Christ. He comes back to that in verses 10 through 24, which we'll cover this morning. So he is going to say, I am telling you this because I am an apostle who was called by God. And then next week, we'll look at the second platform, which is, by the way, the other apostles, the disciples whom Jesus chose, whom you trust, they accept the message that I am teaching you. So we're looking at verses 10 through 24. And this morning, I've just got two points to the sermon. And number one is the gospel is a message that originates with God. And then point number two, which will be a little bit longer, is the gospel is a message that changes lives. Okay, the gospel is a message that originates with God. All right, verses 10 through 12, here's where we see that. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man... I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now you can imagine how frustrating it was for Paul. The gospel is the good news that originates with God. Back in verse 4, he presented the gospel to us. We could ask, well, what is the gospel? Verse 4 says this, Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. He sang it in the most simple of terms. It's Jesus Christ, not Jesus Christ and dot, dot, dot. And where did Paul hear this message? Paul heard this message from Jesus Christ himself on the road to Damascus. He heard it from God. God had said, I am going to stop Paul, then Saul, dead in his tracks, and I am going to give him the gospel so that he knows it and so that he's overcome with it, and then so he carries it out. So imagine you are a soldier and you have an interview with the highest ranking general in the military. You get the direct marching orders for how the battle is supposed to be carried out. You then go from the office, having met with the highest ranking general, you go down to the battlefield, and there are a bunch of lieutenants who are going back and forth with each other on how the battle is to be carried out. You've just come from the highest ranking officer. You would say, hey, I just received marching orders directly from General so-and-so. Listen to what I have to say. This is the message that I'm passing along to you. And this is Paul's point. He has just had the revelation from God himself. He has no doubts 
about the gospel that he is preaching. He is not confused in any way. And that gospel is that Jesus Christ has come. He gave himself to deliver us from this present evil age. Those other messengers, those other religious leaders did not have Jesus Christ personally appealing, appearing to them. They did not have an apostolic commissioning event. Paul did. Paul is an apostle. He is the particular apostle that we talked about two weeks ago. He has the authority to carry this out. And so folks, here we are sitting just like 1970 years later or so, Every truth or religion has an origin to it. It either originates from God or from man. And whether we are living in 50 AD or 2023, we are brought to a decision-making point this morning. Do we believe the apostolic word of God, the word that was handed down to God, from God to the apostles that we have in our hands this morning? Or do we have to go with the word of God and somebody else's word? And Paul would come to us, Jesus would come to us and say, I'm astonished if you would do that. You can see that religions are built upon the word of God and somebody else's word or authority. Paul would say, no, not at all. That might be a religion, but it's not true. And so this morning, we are continually brought back to this question of, will we believe the gospel? Will we believe the word of God as originated from God, given to the apostles, and handed down to us? And we as Christians will say, yes, we will, and nothing else. This is it. Because it originates with God. There aren't other religions who have a special word from God. Joseph Smith does not own the corner. Mary Baker Eddy, Ellen G. White, they don't have these extra and, and, and things for us. Christians, be assured that you have the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ in your hands this morning. You don't need any other traditions. You don't need anything else. There's nothing secret out there that God hasn't given to you. It's all right here because it originates from him. So Paul's argument, very simply, in verses 10 through 12 here, is that what he is handing over to the Galatians has come from God. And this message, this gospel that he is handing over to them, has power. And that's where Paul goes in verses 13 and following. So point number two to the sermon is this. The gospel is a message that changes lives. It changes lives because it has power. Now, look what he says here in verse 13. He begins to draw the comparison so that we can see the power. He says, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. We know as we read the book of Acts that at the end of Acts 7, Acts 7 is when Stephen 
comes onto the scene, preaches a solid message, going back through the Old Testament and pulling story after story of the Old Testament, and then leads it all the way up to Christ. And the Jewish leaders say, that's enough, we're done. And a group of leaders take their coats off, pick up stones, and stone them to death. And where is Paul, then called Saul at the time? He's hanging out right there holding the coats of those who have stoned Stephen to death. That's who he was. He was in party with the stoners over here. I don't think he was stoned, but you know what I mean. Then in chapters 8 and 9, we read that Paul was breathing threats and murders against the Christians. And he was on his way to round up Christians, to bring them back to Jerusalem in order to have them persecuted. He wanted to stop the movement of Christianity. That's who he was, opposed to Christ. That's what was in his heart. Do you know anybody this morning that's opposed to Christ? In our little gathering this morning with the music team, Pastor Mike just asked the question, like, who are you praying for that would come to Christ? Who are you praying for? That would come to Christ. Do you know of somebody that is opposed to Christ this morning? Paul was one of those guys, opposed to Christ and physically acting out. And not only was he physically acting out against Christ, but this guy had mental horsepower. So notice what he says here in verse 14. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. So here he was. He was a physical powerhouse going throughout the region, rounding up Christians, persecuting them. And here he is. He can say, I was advancing. I, I was I was working beyond people of my own age, climbing up the ladder, if you will, of Jewish scholarship. You can read in the book of Acts that he sat at the feet of Gamaliel, one of the leading rabbis of the first century, just soaking up everything that he could. And so here you have this physical, like, uh, this physical guy that is carrying out all of these acts. And not only is he just the muscle, but he's also the brains too. He can talk to anybody and reason with them and defend his argument. But notice the powerful effect that the gospel has. Verse 15. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult with anyone. Here's the moment that Paul is talking about that you can read about in Acts 9, Acts 22, Acts 26, where God came to him and he called to him. And that call was a call that's characterized by God's kindness, by his grace. And what did that call include? The revealing of his son, where Paul went from hearing about who Jesus was. He knew about Jesus. That's why he was there to stone Stephen. He no doubt heard the messages or heard about the messages that Peter and the other apostles were preaching in Jerusalem. Paul knew about Jesus. And yet his heart was stone cold, opposed to Jesus. And yet on the way to Damascus, 
God spoke. God called him by his grace and revealed his son. Paul begins to see the glory of Jesus Christ. And it changes him from the inside out. Now what happens here? We'll just read through the rest of this and then we'll get into the calling here in a little bit. He said, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Verse 17. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia. And when you think about Arabia, don't necessarily think of modern-day Saudi Arabia. Think about you've got the region of Israel, and then go east of that, and there's the desert that just kind of surrounds Israel. That's probably what Paul is talking about. He went into the desert into Arabia there. And then he returned again to Damascus. And Acts 9 tells us that when he returned to Damascus, he was preaching that Jesus was the Christ. Going to Damascus, opposing Christians, God calls out to him. He's saved. He goes into the desert for a little while, comes back, and now he's preaching the very message that he opposed, that Jesus, this man Jesus, who gave himself up for our sins, he's the Christ of the Old Testament that us Jews are looking for. That's powerful. Then after three years, he says, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him for 15 days. And I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. What is Paul, why is Paul including this? He's including this just to let you know that when he went up to Jerusalem, he wasn't trying to round up all of the apostles and build a fan club. He wasn't in it for himself. He met with Peter, and he met with James, and he was there for 15 days. They didn't rebuke him. They didn't disagree with him. More or less, they agreed. Verse 21, then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea, which would have been probably the first churches surrounding Jerusalem that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. They're hearing about the change that has come into Paul's life. And they glorified God because of me. So the point of all this is that Paul had a genuine story of being called by God and seeing Jesus in all of his glory for who he was, the one who gave his life for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. And Paul just wants the Galatians to follow the gospel of Jesus, the gospel that changed his life. And his testimony in these verses is the tool of showing or pointing out that the gospel he is preaching, Christ and not dot, 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 is real. So, Paul was changed because God called him into the gospel. Okay, now for the third part of the sermon, let's talk about this calling and see if we can be encouraged by this. What is the call of God? What is the call of God? A few verses from Scripture to help us get started with this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him 
and here's the language, who called you out of darkness. Does that sound like the place where Paul was at one point? Yes. Who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 1 Peter 5, verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Another verse from Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and his excellence. So here you see three different passages from Peter, the one whom Paul visited up in Jerusalem, about the calling of God. And the calling of God involves this bringing someone from darkness, bringing someone from where they are into the glory of Christ. We could say it this way. The call of God is the work of God to open up spiritual eyes to respond to Jesus as the glorious Savior. That's where Paul was. He didn't see Jesus as glorious, and then God called him on the way to Damascus, and his spiritual eyes were opened so that he could see Jesus as glorious. That's God's call. Paul says, Romans 8, verse 30, that this is part of one's salvation. Romans 8, 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. The call has to go out in order for someone to be brought to this place where they are justified before God. Now, here is Paul, again, on his way to Damascus, hard-hearted, opposed to Christ, persecuting Christians. And the call of God, filled with grace to reveal Jesus to him, comes upon his life. So if somebody asked Paul, Paul, how did you go from being a zealous Jew who was violent and persecuting the church of God, opposed to the person of Jesus, intellectual, surpassing all other people, how did you go from that to being a Christ follower, to being a Christian who preaches the very message that you opposed? How did you get there? Paul would say, it was the power of God's call upon my life. You're going to scratch your head and be like, well, was it Stephen's sermon? Was it that? Was it something that you heard from Peter, like while you were around Jerusalem? You were hanging out there. Paul might respond by saying, well, maybe God used that in my life, but I was running hard in my own lane. And what got a hold of me was that God called me by his grace and he showed me Jesus. And now you can see why he says it's the call of grace. Because it's nothing that he did. It's not dot, dot, dot. It was that God just spoke into my life. Eyes, be opened. Let me show you Jesus. 
and his eyes were opened to see the glory of who Christ was. He didn't do anything to deserve it. And that is the work of God, Christian, in your life, wherever you were, when he saved you. He used means along the way, like the preaching of his word, but you had heard the preaching of his word many times before that. And yet what he did in that moment was he said, Nate, wake up. And I woke up to him. I was studying this and one pastor said, think of it this way. Think of yourself in a dead sleep, 3.30 in the morning. You're snoring away on your pillow. And somebody comes up to your ear and puts their mouth right next to your ear and says, wake up. And you just sit right up in bed. You, you obey the call. You, there's nothing that you can do when somebody talks to you that way when you're in that kind of stupor. You just, here I am, okay. And that's what God does to us. He calls us, and it's by his grace, and he's revealing Christ to us. Three characteristics about the calling of God on someone's life. Number one, the calling of God is powerful. The calling of God is powerful. You can see this in Paul's life. He was on the road to Damascus with all the conviction and zeal of persecuting Christians. This is what he's bent on. What would it take for Paul's heart to be broken? Would it take like the most intellectual Christian surpassing those of his or her own age? No, it took the call of God. So I'm helping coach football right now. And yesterday was a terrible day for our team. Our little flag football guys... We're all over the place. This week, terrible week in practice. These guys take their cleats, and for some reason, they think it's cool to take their heel that's got two little, like, spiky things and go over to somebody else and step on their big toe. And I'm like, dude, leave your friend alone. They're pushing each other. They're pulling flags off each other. They're just popping each other. Like, and, and the other coaches are, I'm not the head coach, thankfully. I, I would have lost it a long time ago. And I'll tell these dudes, dude, stop it. Pay attention. I call to them. My call is effective for about three seconds. And then they're back to where they were before. And you know what it's like, especially you parents and grandparents. Hey, kids, it's time to get ready for school. They don't want to move. Or, hey, kids, it's time to mow the lawn. Call after call after call. Yet when the call of God comes on someone's life, it is powerful. It overrides all other calls in one's life. It brings a new reality into that individual's heart because God's call is not mere words. For God to call something into existence is not an attempt to make something happen, God's call always makes something happen. So you go back to the very beginning of Scripture when God called out, let there be light. It wasn't, I hope it happens. I hope existence comes into existence, whatever. You know, it's, there's light. When God called out the plagues to come, they came. When Jesus calls out to the paralytic, now, rise, take up your bed and walk so that they might know that I have the ability to forgive sins. Boom, calls out, the guy stands up, a new reality. Jesus calls Lazarus, 
the dead body out of the tomb. Boom, here comes Lazarus. A new reality has taken place. When God calls, there's power to his call. Paul was one way, a zealous law-abiding, Christian-persecuting individual. God calls him and changes him. Have you noticed that kind of change in your life? It might not be electrifying. It might not be like, hey, I was heading to persecute Christians. It wasn't like, for some of you, it's not like I was like put into this weird vision moment where God got a hold of me in this way. That's not the power of God's call. The power of God's call is, this is the direction I was heading, and I did not see the glory of Christ. And through means, through someone, through his spirit, he called me, and the eyes of my heart were, was open, and now I see Christ in a glorious way, and I want to give my life over to him. I can't explain it. It's just God and his ability to do that. When God calls you into salvation, he deals with you at a very fundamental level. You were going this direction, now he brings you another direction. He turns you from an old creation into a new creation. Because God's call brings about a new reality. But second, God's call also causes conflict. God's call also causes conflict. It's conflicting because the work that Jesus does in my life has a takeover effect that redirects my life. There's a conflict that happens. Imagine yourself as a runaway train. Paul's life was a runaway train. The only way that that train is going to be stopped and turned is if it comes into conflict or is challenged by something else. The train has to be stopped. It has to be met with conflict or else it will keep going in its own path. We see conflict all over Scripture. Later on in Galatians, we're going to see that there's a conflict between the spirit at work in our lives and the flesh that's at work in our lives. The call of God brings the spirit so that there's conflict with the flesh. Paul talked about this in Ephesians chapter 4, where he talks about putting off the old self and putting on the new self. So Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24 says this, put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. There's a taking off that happens when God calls you. There's a putting on that happens when God calls you. And if you don't like the conflict, what you do is raise up the white flag and you just live in the old self. That's how to deal with the conflict. I don't want the conflict anymore. I'm done with it. Okay, you just live in the flesh over here. And yet the conflict, while it's difficult, it's so rewarding. Because the conflict opens you up to truth. It opens you up to Christ-likeness. It opens you up to peace. It opens you up to a growing relationship with God where that old part is being put away more and more. So you would say it's worth every bit of it. Number three. The call of God is lived out by faith. The call of God is lived out by faith. So here's Paul on his way to Damascus. The power of God comes upon his life. Conflict takes place. You see him going from an old man to a new man, and yet he has to live this call out and by faith. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says this. 
I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live it right now. I live by, and here it is, I live by faith. And what's the object of my faith? In the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So basically he's saying this, I'm living, I'm going forward, and I'm living by faith. I'm I'm following Jesus Christ day after day after day. And that's what happens in the life of a believer who's been called. We surrender to the power. We regularly go through the conflict. And we place our faith in Jesus Christ. And that's all the kindness of God. That's who we are as Christians. To wind down the sermon, I just want to read a little testimony from another individual, Phil Riken, his commentary on Galatians. He included this at the very end on this section of Galatians. He says this, One man whose life was changed by the gospel is Tom Papania, who actually went from the mafia to the ministry. Papania's grandfather was a criminal who helped bring organized crime from Sicily to America. Papania himself was a hard man. When he was only 10 years old, during one of the many beatings he received from his father, he vowed that he would never shed another tear as long as he lived. He became a thief, an extortionist, and a murderer. Eventually, he became the number two man in the New York Mafia. His heart was so cold that when hardened criminals looked into his eyes, they saw nothing but death. Eventually, God began to speak to Pompania's heart, but he refused to listen. He did not want God to have any power over him, so he decided to outsmart God. He figured he was probably about to die for his sins, but before God had the chance to kill him, he was going to kill himself. As Pompania put the gun to his head, the telephone rang. It was a man who had been inviting him to church. So just to prove that God did not have any power over him, Pompania decided to go to church after all. When the service was finished, he met the minister at the back door of the church. The minister said to him, I have something I want to say to you, but I don't want to offend you. The eyes are the windows of the soul. When you first came in here, I looked into your eyes, and all I could see was a little boy crying, wanting to be loved. By saying this, the pastor exposed Pompania's most painful secret. But Pompania did not want anyone to know that he had a weakness, so he went back to the church later that night to murder the minister. When he got to the church, he found to his amazement that he couldn't go through with it. As the two men began to talk, the minister asked him if he knew Jesus and told him that he needed to be born again. Pompania just laughed. He said, Pastor, if these people in this church found out who I was, they'd throw both of us out of here. I'm probably the biggest sinner you'll ever see if you live to be a million years old. These people don't want me. I'm a sinner. Then Papania began to recount all his crimes. He was trying to get the minister off his back without being born again. He wanted to convince him that he was so bad that God was about to kill him. He was just one step ahead of God. But what he was really doing was confessing his sins. And before he knew it, Papania found himself kneeling on the ground with 30 years of tears freely flowing down his cheeks, 
opening the door of his heart to let Jesus in. He said, I've found Jesus, and I've been searching for him all my life. And now that I have him, I'm not letting him go. He went on to become a prison evangelist, and his life was changed by God's gospel. So what do we do with this? I think we say this. Let's be encouraged, Christians, that the gospel is true and that God has graciously called you to himself if you're a believer. Number two, think about someone whom you personally know, a Papania, Apostle Paul, whose heart is hardened to the gospel. Their heart is no match for the power of God's call. Keep praying for them and keep having hope that God might just save them. Number three, you might be the old Paul. You might be that Pompania. You're here and God is calling you. And you should just simply respond this morning by trusting Christ as the Savior, the one who forgives you, the one who delivers you from sin. That's all. And God will begin a relationship with you, a relationship where you will experience the power, the conflict, and then live by faith in who Jesus is. Let's pray.